Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, then please turn to James chapter 3 as we continue today with a series of messages we started many weeks ago and we're calling God's Word in My Everyday Life, and in which over the course of the past five weeks, James has come to us and he has said, if I can just boil it all down, two different things. Number one, real faith is visible. Real faith is something you can see. When you really have it, it actually shows up in ways that you can really identify, mark, and say, wow, you know what? I can see that in my life, and so can other people. Real faith is visible, and it's more visible in some people than it is in other people, and it's more visible in some seasons of our lives than it is in other seasons of our lives, and I understand that, but here's what it never is. Never is it invisible from the moment we profess faith in Christ till the moment that we die. There's no such thing as a do-nothing Christian. That's been James' message, and he has been beating that drum, hasn't he? Real faith is visible. It shows up in what you do. It shows up in the way that you live. And then last week, he came to us very penetrating, very humbling, lots of comments after last week's message. And he said, you know what, guys? Real faith is audible as well. In other words, it shows up not just in what you do, but in what you say, not just in how you live but also in how you speak, that as Christ inhabits you and He makes you new, and then He takes you on this journey of transformation together as He transforms your heart, He transforms your life and your speech. So real faith is visible and real faith is audible. And today he's going to come to us and he's going to change gears, but only very, very slightly when he says to us today, real faith calls you and I to live our lives according to a different kind of wisdom. And if you just pause for a second and think about that, that'll help you to understand why it is that your faith really ought to be visible and really ought to be audible. Because if you and I, by real faith, are embracing the wisdom of heaven and by real faith and the power of God's Spirit ever more living it out in our lives... Well, then our lives are going to be different, visibly and audibly as well. It's going to show up in our marriages, for example. It's going to show up in the way that we relate to our kids. It's going to show up in the way that we do business. It's going to show up in our ethics and our sexual mores. It's going to show up in the way that we use our time and our talents and our treasure. It's going to show up in every different facet of our lives. As Christ transforms our lives, gives to us His wisdom, and we embrace that wisdom and live it out, We are going to be visibly and audibly different. We are going to bring forth a different kind of fruit in our lives than the world in its wisdom brings forth. And I want to encourage you today to watch the fruit. The fruit is the key to the message. That's what unmasks us. That's what reveals what kind of wisdom, well, we're actually living according to. And James, by the way, has not been silent on this topic already. As with the tongue, for example, he's already spoken to this topic as well. And so, for example, in James 1 verse 5, he came to us and he said, if any of you lacks what? Because it's what we're talking about. If any of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask his financial advisor. It's not what it says. Okay. Let him ask his friends. No. Family? No. Let him call a meeting in his office. Everybody in the conference room, you know, let's gather around the table. Hey, guys, I need to make a big decision. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. I want to get your feedback. He doesn't say that. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing those things, and God may give you his wisdom through one or more of those people. But the point is, the one that we're to ask is God, and the kind of wisdom we're to seek is his unique brand of wisdom. He says, for if any of you lacks wisdom... 
Let him ask God, who gives his unique kind of heavenly wisdom, is the point, generously, like he doesn't give it sparingly. Here's a little bit, see what you can do with that. No, here's a geyser full of it. He gives it generously to all without reproach, and it, this is awesome, will be given to him. I mean, can you have a more encouraging verse than that? Not come to him, and I don't know if he's in a good mood, possibly, maybe he'll give you a little bit of it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives his unique kind of heavenly wisdom generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And look, sometimes it's going to line up perfectly with what your financial advisor says, and sometimes it is going to be diametrically opposed, and your financial advisor is going to think you're nuts. And if that never happens, well, you know, that's kind of an indicator. Sometimes your friends are going to be like, right on, do that, that's the course of wisdom. Sometimes they're going to think, really? You're going to call the meeting. You're going to say, okay, what do you guys think? You know, you guys in my office, all right, good. Well, this is what I'm going to do, you know? And sometimes they'll go, that's exactly what you should do. That's exactly what we've all decided as well. And sometimes they'll walk away scratching their heads thinking, this guy is crazy. Why? Because real faith calls us to live our lives according to a different kind of wisdom. And frankly, it's a kind of wisdom that the world in its wisdom just doesn't always understand. And it's a kind of wisdom that produces a different kind of fruit. Watch the fruit. We saw this also with regard to the issue of suffering. James came to us and he said, all right, let's talk about suffering. Let's use that as an example of the difference between you and everybody else, or at least what should exist between you and everybody else. We should suffer differently. He said the world in its wisdom looks at suffering as, as just an unfortunate happenstance and you as an unfortunate victim of that unfortunate happenstance. And it perceives wisdom or, or suffering rather to be something that you and I just need to kind of grit our teeth and buckle down and knuckle down. And you know, we got all these aphorisms that we use and just somehow get through. And hopefully we can just forget about it when it's all said and done, but that's not the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom of heaven says, look, you might have to swallow hard on this, but here's the deal. Suffering is manufactured and handed and strategically placed into your life by your loving heavenly Father to serve His both temporal and eternal purposes, purposes that you cannot even fully comprehend and understand, but by faith know are there and embrace. And there is no scalpel so sharp in the hand of God as suffering. There is no greater, perhaps, spiritual opportunity than seasons of suffering in which our God, through suffering, molds and shapes and makes us more like Jesus than probably in any other season of our lives. So, if you embrace the wisdom of this world regarding suffering, you will waste your suffering. If you embrace the wisdom of heaven regarding suffering, you will find the treasures buried deeply within it. You see the difference? Because it isn't subtle. It's not a little difference. We saw this also with regard to Jesus and glory and money and possessions and the poor. We said that when the world in its wisdom looks at Christ, it just it sees a guy who died and suffered for nothing and whose followers follow him for nothing. In fact, less than nothing because it's costly to follow Jesus, newsflash. And they don't see the gain. Like, they don't get why anybody would do that. It doesn't make any sense. The world and its wisdom cannot comprehend that. There's no understanding there. And yet, when we, with the wisdom of heaven, look at Jesus, 
We see God Himself in whom we find everything. And in losing for Jesus, we come to recognize that, wait a minute, that's not a loss. Ultimately, that's a gain. And giving to Jesus, well, well, I know I realize I've experienced a loss because I've given, but in reality, I've gained. And waking up every single day and saying, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to be. And dying to that, we then begin truly to live. And not just to live, but to offer life to others as well. It's completely upside down, or maybe it's right side up. It all depends on what wisdom you're living in accordance with. When the world, in its wisdom, looks for glory, its gaze falls upon status and power and notoriety and, you know, I mean, all of these things. And yet when we, in the wisdom of heaven, look for glory, our eyes rest on Christ. That's glory. And as we read His Word and as we see His example and as in faith we begin to embrace His teachings, His life, His wisdom. We come to agree with Him on things like the last in this life, in this world, according to the wisdom of this world. Well, actually, they're first in the life and world that really matters, in the life and world that you and I are actually called to live for according to the wisdom of heaven. Wow. That the greatest among us really are not the people that, you know, the world and its wisdom go, put that guy on the front of the newspaper, and not for a crime, okay, but like for something great. That's a great person, and maybe it is, but, but the greatest among us are the servants of all. That true wealth is not what we store up here, it's what we store above, and that we can use our wealth here to store up heavenly wealth. Okay, now that will make your financial advisor nuts, and maybe some of your kids You get the idea? True poverty is not the lack of resources in this life. It's the lack of Christ in whom we are eternally rich. And the poor are not who the world and its wisdom labels them to be. They're not a problem to be solved. They're not a liability to be minimized. They're not an unfortunate cost that we as a society just have to kind of, you know, suck it up and absorb. But rather, all throughout the Scripture, the poor are pictured as the objects of the mercy of God. They matter to God, and they need to matter in tangible ways to every single one of us. So I could go on, but my point is that every day you and I get up, and every day we make multiple decisions, and when you boil down those decisions, the decisions are this, really. It's, am I going to live according to the wisdom of this world, or am I going to live according to the wisdom of heaven? And here's the deal. This is not going to be a surprise to those of you who've been around a while. Almost everyone you know, including believers, choose every day to live according to the wisdom of this world. And in their lives, you see its fruit. And you may discover that's you today, too. It's all of us to some degree. It's sort of like some of us live according to the wisdom of this world with regard to this issue, this issue, and this issue, but I'm embracing heaven over here. And it's not supposed to be that way either. Almost everybody is going to choose the wisdom of this world. Real faith calls us instead to embrace the wisdom of heaven. And in embracing the wisdom of heaven, by faith living out the wisdom of heaven, well, then producing the wisdom of heaven, the fruit of the wisdom of heaven. Watch the fruit because the fruit is the litmus test. It's the way you're going to know what wisdom you're living according to. And he's not going to be unclear about what it is. 
We pick up our study this morning, James 3, verse 13, and he says this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, so he's introducing the topic of wisdom here. But he's saying to you, now don't answer with your mouth, don't speak up, don't raise your hand and go, that would be me. He's not looking for some kind of a verbal response. He's not looking for a show of hands. He's looking for a show of life. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Before you answer, let me tell you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or really in the humility of wisdom. He's saying that there is a spiritual quality, there is a humility of faith that both leads us to the wisdom of God and doesn't avoid it for fear of what it might say, but recognizes God is God and I'm not. And no matter what this world happens to think of what his wisdom is, his word is the definitive final word of wisdom. It both leads us to the wisdom of God and it then humbles our opinions before it. And it leads us by the power of God's Spirit to live it out. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? And he says, look, don't speak up too quick. Don't raise your hand. Just follow along by his good conduct, he says. Let him show his works in the meekness or in the humility of wisdom. And then he says, but if you have. Now, start watching what he says, because now he's going to begin giving you lists. There's going to be a list over here for the wisdom of this world, and there's going to be a list for the wisdom of heaven. He says, but if you have, here we go, bitter jealousy or envy is really also what that word could be translated, bitter jealousy or envy, and what else? Selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast. Don't start popping off about being wise. Don't raise your hand when I ask the question and be false to the truth. He's saying, because if that's the case and you claim to be wise, you're making a liar out of yourself. He's so subtle as we've noticed. Don't start popping off about how wise you are, he says, and be false to the truth. Why? Because those are not the hallmarks, well, of heavenly wisdom. They're the hallmarks, or at least the beginnings of them, of the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world, like if you just summed it up in a phrase, is this. The wisdom of this world comes to every one of us and teaches us in a variety of different ways, in very creative ways, from birth, it seems to me, until we finally die, every single day that we live, that this particular mantra is true for each one of us. Life is all about me. That's it. Life is all about me, which means, parenthetically, that my marriage ultimately is about me. My children ultimately are about me. Just let them run afoul of my desires, and, you know, you'll see that. My business, well, that's about me. My career, that's about me. My reputation, that's about me. My time, talents, treasure, all that stuff, it's all about me. The unspoken assumption that we go into everything with is and weigh everything against is it's all about me. What is this going to do for me? How is this going to affect me? How much is this going to cost me? How much of my time is this going to take? How much of my energy is this going to take? Everything is weighed in light of ourselves. It's all about me. And James says, okay, well, if that's true, let me tell you, first of all, that that produces bitter jealousy or envy. In other words, when you see somebody else who, for example, has a better marriage than you, you start looking at your marriage from that idea of this really is all about me, and you start going, I need to get divorced and get somebody like that who better meets my needs. See how that works? It's subtle. It's ever-present. It's a struggle, isn't it? Somebody else's child is like, whoo, 
you know, and you think, that should be my kid. I deserve that. I deserve that vacation. I deserve that promotion. That great, like, windfall that person just got, that should be me. It's like it makes it almost impossible to rejoice with those who rejoice, doesn't it? It's one of the most difficult commands in the Bible, rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, I can weep with those who weep. Don't ask me to rejoice with those who rejoice because I'm sitting here going, man, I'm kind of, oh, oh, that's so great. Inside I'm going, that should be me. Hey, you know what? It happens to ministers too. Just watch when they get together. I say they like I'm not one of them. Start clocking how long it takes before they ask something like, so how big is your church? Seriously. You know, I'm just trying to get a feel for where you guys are at. How are you doing financially in this time? Because we're flush with cash. Bam. Oh, let me rejoice with you, brother. It's insidious. The life is all about me ethic of this world produces bitter jealousy and envy, and it also produces selfish ambition. And if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, I hope you wore steel toe boots today. Because not only does it produce selfish ambition, it then takes out a Sharpie pen and a name tag, and it labels it as virtuous and good. It says this is good. From birth, you and I are taught to advance ourselves to assert ourselves, to promote ourselves. Even if that means that we have to do it at the expense of somebody else, I mean, hopefully we don't have to. We don't go out of our way to, hopefully. But if we do, hey, you know what the unspoken assumption is there? They should understand. That's the way we all live. It's eat or be eaten. Sorry, I beat you to the punch, but really? You should understand that. It's not personal. It's business. You know what it really is? It's both. Nobody who's on the sharp end of the stick has ever said, oh, don't worry about it. I understand, man. It's not business. I mean, it's not personal. It's just business. They're dying inside because we've created this great big competition. It's all about me, isn't it? The world teaches us in its wisdom to look out for number one because nobody else is. And heaven in its wisdom comes to us and says, you know, if you have real faith in Jesus, this is going to be liberating. God's looking out for you. And if you really believe that He actually is doing that, A, that He has a greater wisdom by which to do it, B, that He has all the resources of heaven and earth, infinitely will never exhaust any of them, that He's a kind of a generous God. I don't know if you noticed, He gives generously to those who ask. If you really embrace that, do you know what that frees you from having to do? It frees you from having to win. You've already won. It frees you from having to assert you and advance you and promote you if at that same time it means costing, well, somebody else. It frees you from having to look out for you because nobody else is and to start looking out for other people. It's upside down, guys, or maybe, maybe it's right side up. James says, but if you have bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, well, don't boast. Don't talk about your wisdom. Don't be fooled into thinking that you're wise. 
and be false to the truth. Because this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. My goodness. And what does it produce? Because here's its fruit. For where jealousy and selfish ambition, driven by the it's all about me and I'd better look out for me because nobody else is, ethic of this world exists, there will be, here we go, disorder and every vile practice. And that's true in our homes, and that's true in our families, and that's true in our businesses, and that's true in our relationships, and that's true in our city, and that's true in our country, that's true in our world, and it's true in the church. It's true in all of those things. I think that if you ask the average Christian, what is, just summarize for me the message of Christianity, the average Christian would say something like this. They would say, well, I mean, you know, kind of in a nutshell, the message of Christianity is that for God so loved me that he sent his son to die for me. Period. You know, like that's it. That's not it. It's part of it. But it is woefully inadequate. The message of biblical Christianity is not, for God so loved me that he sent his son to die for me, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of story. It is, for God so loved me that he sent his son to die for me, that I might be forgiven and in him find life and all of that, but also that he might purchase the whole of me with his blood. That I might, in response to all that He is, to all that He's done, and to all that He ever will yet do forever and ever, rise up and gather up every component of my life and place it, as we've talked about in the past, into a great big metaphorical bag, right? And then once we get it all in there, get in there ourselves, pull it up over our heads, hopefully attach a bow that Jesus is going to be happy with on the top, grab it about thigh high, and hop it on over to the feet of Jesus, and as a response or an act of worship, place it all there and then say, okay, here, take it, use it, leverage it, do whatever you want with it to make your name and your fame and your glory and your gospel and your attributes and your worthiness known amongst the nations. That's, that's biblical Christianity in a nutshell. As I grow to love you, as I each day nail myself, remember that word, to the cross, that I might rise up and live for you. As I enter into a constant dialogue in prayer with you, as I dig into your word and store up its treasures in my heart, and then in faith, even when it scares me and doesn't make sense according to anybody I've consulted with, do what it says and have the privilege of bearing its fruit in a world that needs to see the fruit of the wisdom of heaven. See, when we get that wrong in our marriages, in our family, in our businesses, or in the church, the end result is what he talks about here in verse 16. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition, driven by this, it's all about me, and I better look out for number one because nobody else's ethic of this world exists, there will be, here's the fruit, disorder and every vile practice. So if this was a shoe store, that would be the first pair I'd hand you right there. And I'd say, all right, just try it on. See if it fits. Does that fit in your marriage? Does that fit in your home? Does that fit in your business? Does that fit in your life? See if it fits, because if that's the fruit of your life, well, then at least in those areas where that shows up, 
Wrong kind of wisdom. Real faith calls us to live according to the wisdom of heaven and to produce its fruit. And that's what he gives us in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. And that's really it. And now he kind of expands on those two things. It's both pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason. That speaks to those of us with a stubborn streak, doesn't it? Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And here's the fruit. And resulting in a harvest, here we go, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Bottom line, the wisdom of heaven produces purity and peace. Two pairs of shoes, disorder and vile practice, purity and peace. Try them on, and if disorder and vile practice fit, well, then James goes on to describe what your life either does look like, at least in various aspects, or where it's going when he speaks of quarrels and fights. See, they're spawned by it's all about me. I better look out for number one. Really? I think we need to redefine who number one is. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you, okay? And instinctively, what do we all want to do? We want to go, it's that person over there. He does. (laughs) She does. They do. And that's not at all what James does. You can't fix them anyway. He says, no, actually forget about that person for a minute. What causes quarrels and fights among you? He says, you. You desire. Here's what it is. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You're like, man, that's a little extreme. I mean, I've thought about it maybe, but haven't actually done that. Yeah, but to think about it is to do it. Jesus takes murder and he just blows it up, doesn't he? He he expands the definition. Unrighteous anger, murder. Hatred of your brother, murder. Can we throw resentment in there? Can we throw bitterness in there? It's like different shades of the same color. You murder with your eyes. You murder with your mouth. You murder with a cold shoulder now and again. You murder with your attitudes. What causes quarrels and fights among you? He says, well, here it is. You desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. And so you fight and quarrel. James is saying that within each one of us, there's this thing called self. And the problem with self is self is selfish. Self is self-centered, self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-obsessed. Self is all about self. And that is so much of where we're at and so much of the fight that we have. And what does the wisdom of this world do with self? It affirms self's every desire by coming to us every day in a thousand different ways and saying, you know, it really is actually all about you and you better look out for number one because nobody else is. And it comes to us and says, you know, if you'll just keep feeding self's appetites, eventually self will push away from the table and say, I'm full. What does the wisdom of heaven do with self? It tells us the truth about ourselves and says, you know, self is never satisfied, A. The more you feed self, the hungrier he gets. That's B. And the hungrier he gets, well, then the angrier he gets when what he wants goes unmet. So the wisdom of heaven comes to us and says, deny yourself. 
Die to yourself. Give away yourself. And in doing so, you'll find yourself. James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And he drags us to the mirror and says, don't focus anywhere else. Just look straight ahead right here in the mirror. You desire and you do not have, so you murder with your eyes, with your voice, with your attitudes, with your reactions, with your whatever. You covet and cannot obtain. And so you fight and quarrel because it's, well, it's all about you. And then he says, and here's your problem. You do not have. You do not have what, though? You don't have purity and peace in your life. It's disorder, it's chaos, it's vile. Why? Because you do not ask. God is the point. For the heavenly wisdom necessary to produce that kind of fruit, you do not have purity and peace because you do not ask for heavenly wisdom. Or you ask for heavenly wisdom. Hey, God, I'm really interested in what you think on this matter. I'd like to consider it along with the nine other opinions that I've gotten. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Well, there's a survey to take to your prayer life. The wisdom of this world comes and says it's all about you, and the wisdom of heaven says, no, actually, no. It's all about Jesus. The wisdom of this world teaches us to assert ourselves, to advance ourselves, to promote ourselves, and to feed ourselves. What does the wisdom of heaven say? Assert others. Promote others. Prefer others above yourself. My goodness, that's even a verse. Advance them. Feed them at the expense of yourself. The wisdom of this world says, look out for number one because nobody else is. The wisdom of heaven says, really? Because the gospel is that if you belong to Christ, God's looking out for you, and that liberates you. He is your security, He is your joy, He is your satisfaction. He is your self-esteem, and that allows you to lay yourself down in sacrifice following the example of the Savior and in laying yourself down to find life. It lets you start looking out for others because God's got your back. The wisdom of this world bears the fruit of disorder and vile practice, and the wisdom of heaven bears the fruit of purity and peace. And you really need to, you know, sort of take a look at those two pair of shoes and say, all right, which one fits? Which one fits? Because almost everyone lives their lives according to the wisdom of this world. But you and I are called by real faith, frankly, just to be different to live our lives according to a different wisdom that looks upside down but will be eternally proven to be right side up. A different wisdom that produces a different fruit. All right, well, as I've told you guys for many weeks, on October 23, we're going to begin a series, and we're calling it Leverage Your Life and uh, God's Word and Generous Living. 
And basically what that's about, it's about gathering up the components of your life and putting it into the big giant metaphorical bag. And then once it's all in there, it's getting in there yourself and then lifting the bag up over your head and finding a nice bow to throw on the top and hopping it all over to the feet of Christ and saying, okay, look, it's not about me, it's about you. How do you want to use me and all of this to make your fame and acclaim and name known throughout all the world? That's fundamentally what it's all about. And it's part of the run-up to that series we've been sharing with you, testimonies of people who are kind of already doing it. It's sort of like, we're going to talk about this, but in advance, it sort of looks like this. And you've heard from, you know, Mo Bellio, you've heard from um, Sharon Parks and uh, Amaret Hannah. And today, I want you to hear from somebody that you've heard from in the past, but there's something kind of new and exciting that they want to ask for your help with and for your prayers for. And so as I pray, I'm going to invite Dee Prieto and her daughter, Katie Moses, to come on up, and they're going to talk to us about something exciting that's happening in the Trees of Hope ministry that Dee founded. And that are, it's housed right next door to the church in a house that we sort of rehabbed and said, here, use this for that. Okay? So let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your glory, and we thank you, um, God, for your grace. <laughs> Uh, Lord, we come to this book, and it is penetrating, and we are exposed, I pray, and exposed also to our need of grace and to the Savior in whom is found infinite grace to cover all our transgressions. I pray that You would forgive us, Lord, and that You would give us a different vision for our lives than the one that we maybe have grown up with, the one that we have embraced, the one that we have fostered, the one that is selfish. God, we all struggle with that. Let us commit ourselves to a journey of transformation that makes us look every day a little more like the selfless one who gave it all away, that we might in Him have forgiveness and life and eternal riches. We thank You for Him, and I pray, God, You would give us the faith that we need this week to live not for us, but to live for Him. Amen.